Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Noise Brigade. This is our long-awaited cryptocurrency episode. I'm Bobby. He's Tom. With us today is AJ Gar. Um, AJ is here to talk about some cryptocurrency and lay down some knowledge and lay down some some uh, stuff that we don't really know too much about. This is a very interesting subject. It's very uh, apropos for the times right now. You know, we've got a lot of uh, different people talking about it. It's all over social media. You've got football players demanding their payment in cryptocurrency. So it's something that's definitely, uh, definitely out there and needs to be talked about. Yeah, completely agree, Bob. And uh, I've dipped my toe in the cryptocurrency water. Um, but after kind of doing a pre-show run with AJ, I'm, I'm super excited to to get his viewpoint on this. And maybe we can impart some knowledge into our uh, listeners here. Yeah, absolutely. And just remember, you know, we're we're idiots on the Internet. So don't go sinking your entire nest egg into uh, what whatever we say. But, um, you know, without any further ado, AJ, what's going on, man? And not much, Bobby. Thanks for having me on the show. It's uh, this is actually my first podcast. Awesome. Well, well, welcome to the you know, we we hit a milestone not too long ago. We're actually at five hundred and nine total listens. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, man, it's got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, Tom, what did I say? We have one episode that's got like 46 listens and the rest have like, you know, the rest, the non-wrestling episodes have like around nine or ten. Yeah, the non-wrestling ones actually are, are the ones that hit. I think the last wrestling one we did, which we had like six or seven pages of notes, had three listens to it. So Yes. <laughs> so we might lay <laughs> off on that a little bit. Yeah, but now let's uh, yeah, let's dive in on this one. Okay. Well, yeah, thanks for having me on the show again. And uh, it's awesome to talk about cryptocurrency because I believe that uh, the things in your life that you actually care about, uh, you have to talk about and you have to kind of reinforce it, right? Um, it has to be a part of your life, not just in your head or not just what you do when you're listening to podcasts or YouTube videos or, or anything like that. Yet, If you get a chance to talk to somebody about it, I think it's important. And especially nowadays, because uh, the, the way the world is going to work is going to fundamentally shift. We're, we're moving from a world of fiat currencies, which is, you know, a, you know, cash dollar, uh, you know, any country's currency that actually has a bill or a coin. Well, that's physical, right? That's fungible, as they call it. So, so you have these currencies that you can actually hold. Now, what is it backed by? Okay. You have to think about this. And I'm not trying to start way too high level, but because the world is shifting, I think that this is a pretty important point to make right away. What are currencies backed by? Well, it, they used to be backed by gold back in the, well, basically forever, right? Like what is currency? It used to be seashells. It used to be gold. It used to be precious metals like gold. Um, but the modern world used gold as a, as a like a standard backing the dollar until that shifted. Now, I think in 1974, Richard Nixon actually shifted that. It might have been, might have been 1972, but the whole thing was is that at that point, what is the dollar backed by? The world reserve currency that it was all figured out back in, I don't know, 1955 after World War II. Um, the dollar was the world reserve currency. Well. It was backed by gold, and it had to be. 
then Richard Nixon got rid of that in 1972 or 74. So that meant that the dollar was backed by nothing except for the staying power of the United States. Or if you want to go here, by the military of the United States because we're the greatest military in the world and have been for quite some time. But that was it. So what is happening now? You have to think about the world and how they don't like that the world reserve currency is a dollar because you can actually sanction country, countries. And, you know, look, you can kind of wreck their economy if you really wanted to by, by sanctioning them or saying you're not allowed in this marketplace anymore, like the world marketplace, which is run by the United States, right? So the block countries, which are Brazil, Russia, China, India, they don't want the world reserve currency to be the dollar anymore because they can't make decisions on their own without being sanctioned um, by the United States. And, and that's the punishment for being able to join the world economy. So what they're doing is they're already starting digital currencies themselves. So central bank digital currencies. China has started the yuan and Russia is working on a digital version of the, uh, the ruple or rupee or whatever, you know, that's India. But the thing is, is that if they have their own digital currencies, they don't have to worry about pressure, political pressure from the United States. So that is where the world is. It's, it's kind of everything that's been working for the past, I don't know, say 10 years has been leading up to this point where things are switching over. Now, how did it switch over? And you have to start at Bitcoin. So in January 2009, someone named Satoshi Nakamoto started Bitcoin. And I'm not, I'm not gonna get crazy deep into this, but there's all sorts of conspiracies about who Satoshi Nakamoto is. Um, some say it's David Schwartz, who's the chief techno technical officer of XRP, uh, Ripple Labs. Um, there's all sorts of mathematical geniuses at universities that people think it is, but no one really knows. And, and here's the thing about it, and this is my understanding, is that he has a million Bitcoin in his personal wallet, whoever Satoshi Nakamoto is. Now, right now, Bitcoin price is about $33,000 a Bitcoin. I, I mean, I can't do the math on top of my head, but what is that? Is that if he has a million, what is that, 3.3 billion Bitcoin, something crazy? It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Yeah, what, whatever it is, <laughs> you know, if it's, it doesn't matter what it is. The point is, one Bitcoin is worth $33,000. And at one point this year, it was worth almost $65,000 per Bitcoin. So, holy crap, it's a lot of money. So, the reason why Bitcoin is worth a lot of money, you have to start at the supply. There's only 21 million Bitcoin that will ever be created. Now, right now, there's 18,715,000 in circulation, roughly. So that means that there's only 2,284,000 and change left until the year 2140 when Bitcoin will no longer be mining or mineable. Now, the reason why that's important is because Bitcoin halves every four years, and that creates an artificial inflation, okay? Um, it, that means that there's pressure before that four-year halving comes up 
that means everything that's mineable will keep going down by half every single year. So if there's a Chinese mining operation um, and, and they're full bore, they're mining on their specific hardware that they created to mine Bitcoin, every four years it keeps diminishing. So at first it was 50 and then it drops down to 25 after four years and then it drops down to 12 and a half every four years or whatever it is, 11 and a half. Yeah, it's the supply keeps dropping. The rewards keep dropping for all these mining operations to get Bitcoin. And there's pressure for the price to go up because there's only 21 million that will ever be made. So that's why Bitcoin mining is really a huge deal right now. I mean, you, you've heard in the news all about China shutting down their Bitcoin mining. Well, where's it gonna go? It's probably going to go to some western states in the United States, like uh, Texas, you know, New Mexico, something like that, where power is relatively cheap. They can set up these mining operations and keep getting the rewards for Bitcoin because there's only so much that's ever going to be minted. So guess what you need to do? Get it while you can. When Bitcoin was created, it was initially supposed to be kind of a cryptocurrency, but not a store of value necessarily. So you can actually transact on the Bitcoin network and do things, but at the same time, because of the limited total supply, it became uh, really onerous to try and transact things. It has a very low transaction per second ratio, which is basically just the amount of things that uh, a blockchain network can do at one time. So it didn't really work as a network that you can actually have applications on, okay? Now, let me ask you real quick. Do you guys have any questions? I do. I do. Okay, um, go ahead. So I'm going to start with the most basic, like, stupid question here and probably should have asked this in the very beginning. But so you say, you know, there's only ever going to be 21 million minted and everything. And, and it goes the the value is is having every year or the um the amount is having every year. So where where is the, um, first of all, it's just a digital token, correct? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a digital coin like this is. And, and there's a difference between coins and tokens, but uh, you know, unfortunately I'm not, you know, some crazy blockchain nerd who can go into every project and, and describe all the differences between the two, okay? but. Um, yeah, so look, everybody says cryptocurrency, right? Crypto is not just that. It's, it's a whole bunch more. There, there are actually tokens, as, as you say. Um, there are utility tokens. It's, it goes really deep. But to keep it general, Bitcoin was created as a currency. Okay, so the way that the network works is you have to use um, a, a piece of that currency, which is mathematically unique, to transact on the network, okay? So there are, and, and this is and this is the difficulty about digital currencies and why a lot of people have a hard time adjusting to it because everybody can understand a currency, just a regular currency, right? Fiat, you know, you can understand cash in your hand, right? Um, you can even understand that it's some digital number at a bank, but presumably they're supposed to have whatever amount of money that you have in your checking account available, 
right? Like uh, to withdraw. If you wanted, to, if you had five million dollars of of regular U.S. dollars in a bank, it has to be immediately available if you want to withdraw it. That's the point. It's your money. You're giving it to them, right? Uh, it's it's really hard for people to understand that a currency doesn't have to be actual cash. Okay, so Bitcoin itself is just it's just a coin that's used to transact on a network that is made up of blocks that end up becoming a chain. So it's blockchain. Okay. Okay. Um, so you can never own a Bitcoin like it physically. Right, ever. right, right. Um, but, but it can be translated into the equivalent amount of whatever fiat dollar would be like a U.S. dollar or whatever currency of the world. It, it, it can be translated into that. The problem with Bitcoin is that the network, it, it was literally the first, right? So it's very slow. It doesn't, it, it really has a very low transaction uh, per second, uh, you know, value. So it just can't function as the world's reserve currency. Like the United States to be like, you know what, forget about it. We're going to use Bitcoin as the digital dollar. You, you can't do it. It's, it's too archaic of a network. And it sounds weird because it was created in 2009. It wasn't that long ago, right? So what what's happened is that Bitcoin has become a store of value more so. It's kind of like digital gold, okay? Because there's only so many. And the, the network itself is not good for much of anything. So it's just digital gold. Now, because of the scarcity of it, as it halves every four years, because there's only so much out there left out of the 21 million total, that is why you see institutions and probably even governments to a certain extent, but who will never know about that, right? Um, get involved in Bitcoin because the world is moving digitally, um, central bank, uh, digital currencies, they're, they're happening with several countries. The United States is actually building upon that right now. Uh, but other, other cryptos are going to be used instead of Bitcoin. So Bitcoin has just become a store of value. And, and that's basically where it starts. Um, did you have any questions so far? Um, I don't have any questions, but I, I think that's such a great piece of background information um, and I love uh, you referencing um, the uh, Satoshi uh, Nakamoto um, as the uh, founder, if you will. I, I, I think I had, I'd mentioned this to Bob. I said, you know, to me, it's almost like the William Shakespeare of our generation. Um, so I, for anyone that doesn't know that whole story of, of whether that's a real person or not, it's, it's just fascinating information. So I'm, I'm really glad you, you shared that piece. Yeah, that's an important piece. I mean, if if someone knew who Satoshi Nakamoto is, maybe you'd find him and cause some harm to his body to try and figure <laughs> out what his private keys are, you know, for for his wallet of Bitcoin. Because, I mean, a million Bitcoin or whatever it is, I might not even be right. It could be, it doesn't matter. Anything over one Bitcoin at this point in life is pretty good, right? Yeah, so, I'll take it. <laughs> Right. So if you got a million of them, I mean, wow, that's pretty crazy. And he's the founder. So so be it. Um, but to this point, there's never been a transaction on that at all on his private wallet.
for Bitcoin ever. Not a single thing. Not even a portion of a Bitcoin has ever been transacted as far as I know. And if the, if there was a transaction, well, that might be a little breadcrumb for people to look. Maybe. I, I don't know the power of, uh, you know, government agencies and all that stuff. I'm not even going to pretend to know. But, you know, the fact that he created this and has that much money, obviously, I, I think he created it for the benefit of the world. Now, if you, if you want to say that the government was behind it, um, this guy, David Schwartz, that I, that I said that could be Satoshi Nakamoto, well, guess what? He used to work in the NSA or was a consultant with the NSA back in the, I think, the 90s. Um, he literally has a patent, and it, I think it might be the first patent for a blockchain in 1988. This guy, David Schwartz. And he is the chief technical officer for Ripple Labs, which created, well, didn't create, but ended up using uh, something called OpenCoin, created a company with that, and they have the coin called XRP now. So I, that will go into a whole different subject. Maybe we can get there, but uh, generally XRP is going to be the bridge asset that's that's going to be used for the whole world. Every currency is going to translate their currency, whatever it is, doesn't matter, the peso, who cares, the pound, the euro, it will bridge through the XRP coin token into the United States dollar somehow, some way. And and that's a that's a deep conversation. Um, but I kind of wanted to lead to uh, the, the next point, so like kind of what's happening now, um, aside from Bitcoin, because that started in 2009, right? Right. I even, just a little, little uh, off, not off topic, but a little side note here. I remember there being not too long ago talks of a, uh, well, I guess not too long ago, I, I mean like 2012, 2013, talks of a cell phone, a smartphone that was specifically meant for blockchain and i don't remember whatever came of it but i do remember it was for bitcoin mining and i can't imagine it would have been anything good like i know that they've made somebody's modified like a game boy to mine bitcoin but it's so it's so slow it's glacial it moves at a glacial pace because it's a freaking game boy but i mean there's been stuff coming out about this you know like like cell phones and people hacking together stuff for as long as I can remember for the past 10 years, you know? Yeah, and, and that might have worked back in the day. I mean, it, it wasn't that long ago, but at the same time, it still was 12 years ago that Bitcoin was created. So uh, whatever the requirements were at that time to mine Bitcoin, I, I don't know. You probably had to be a super nerd when it was first created to even understand that this thing was here, alive in the world, right? So I don't know what the requirements were to to mine Bitcoin back in the day. I was aware of it when it kind of first came out, but I, I didn't know how to mine it. I, I imagine it probably dealt with some sort of coding, um, but a phone mining it nowadays, yeah, that's basically an impossibility because you know the hardware that, that these miners use in China and elsewhere, it's super sophisticated and it's actually tailored specifically for mining Bitcoin. Um, you can't mine it on a GPU anymore, or as I understand it, a GPU and a regular computer just wouldn't even be worth it 
like energy consumption wise to try and mine Bitcoin, your cost maybe wouldn't even line up with whatever Bitcoin that you did mine an entire year or something like that. So, so a lot of these miners, they have very specific hardware created just a bit, uh, just to, you know, maintain the whole Bitcoin network. But, but that's kind of the point. And it's the cool thing about cryptocurrency, um, Bitcoin in general, because it was the first, is that the idea came alive. So you have all of these different computers solving math equations, you know, whatever the Bitcoin language is, they're solving these uh, bits and pieces of, of transactions. And that's what makes it decentralized and such a secure network. It, it doesn't make it, uh, you know, like you don't have anonymity. Uh, you do as a person, but you don't as a wallet, as a transaction. Like this transaction happens between like this entity and that entity, and they both have uh, some sort of, you know, digital value, right? And that's specific, that's unique, but you don't know who that is. It's not like it says, hey, Bobby, that's, this is Bobby's wallet. It doesn't say that, it's just a number. So it, Bitcoin, yeah, everybody talks about it being used for illicit activities and terrorism and whatnot. Yeah, I'm sure it has, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, these things aren't completely anonymous. It's a breadcrumb. Now, it may be a difficult breadcrumb to track down to see who has this wallet because it's, it's not like an address. It's not a physical address. It's not your name. It's not your social security number. It's not anything in the world. It's just a number that something transacts in and out with. So it is a breadcrumb in the long run. And it, it was the first start of, of how cryptocurrencies came to be. Everything else is kind of expanded upon that. But at the heart, that's still alive. Your address. It's unique, but you have some anonymity. It, it, no one knows it's you. Now, if you're investing right now, well, that's a different thing because you live in the United States, you got to pay certain taxes, right? Well, it's, look, it's been deemed right now that it's an asset and that means that it's taxable at the same, basically the same rates that like a stock would be. So capital gains tax, if you hold it for over a year, well, it's 15% at the time right now. But if you sell it within a year, well, then it's subject to your income tax, whatever tax bracket that you're in now. Um, say you sold, made a profit of $50,000 on selling cryptocurrencies this year. Well, that $50,000 would be counted as income and be added to your income. If you made $50,000 a year, well, guess what? Now your income would be $100,000 that year and your tax would be applicable to that number. So that's something that people actually kind of have to watch out for when they're trying to get into cryptocurrencies. Um, just kind of want to bring that up. It's a subject yeah, that most a, people don't know about. That's a good point. And I'm glad you did bring that up because I had no idea. And I'm after uh, this episode, I am, you know, Looking forward to, to hearing what you say, especially uh, about some of the new ones that are coming out. And I was looking at trying to get in on the ground floor, but that's something I'll need to keep in mind if if that is a route that I take. Yeah, be careful with that. You can make a lot of money if you invest a decent amount of money into cryptocurrencies, but it's really volatile. And so when you start approaching numbers that you're just like, holy man, I just made you know 10 times the amount of money that I invested. If it was... 
$100, I just made $1,000 in a month. And it happens often. It's volatile. Well, if you sell that, well, guess what? You do owe tax on that amount. And you have to be aware of what the tax rate is, depending on the circumstance, the capital gains tax, right? So right now, what I'm going to tell you is that I invest in things that I think have a, like a long-term future, something in the five to 10 year range, um, something that may raise in value considerably this year, maybe even before I've reached that year threshold of, of the 15% capital gains tax. But because it rose in value so much, even paying the normal tax rate of the cryptocurrency would still be plenty worthwhile. It just depends. Yeah, and that's and that's good. Like, it, you know, I know Tom. I know we we had talked a little bit about this and how you know with these new startups, it might be worth jumping in. So it's it's good to know all this stuff, and I'm glad to. Uh, and that is probably a really good strategy is to to do it so that it's not something you're going to necessarily be jumping out of right away. You know, you get in, get invested in, and then stay vested in it, and then that way you can avoid some of these these pitfalls that are along the way. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the tax information as well, and I think that's something that um, you know a lot of people, whether it, even if it's crypto or even just getting into the stock market now, because you have uh, so many of these just different apps out there that are now kind of transitioning, if you will, from their original stock game into doing some more crypto. But for years and years and years, these things have been around and they're just getting more prevalent now. And at the end of I mean, I've messed with a couple of them for several years now, you know, I get my tax paperwork just like I would anything else. So again, that's a very great point. I'm glad you, glad you mentioned that. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, this is great. I'm really looking in forward into uh, some of these, uh, you know, newer or different cryptos that, uh, that you're going to discuss. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, it. It's really touching upon every single thing in our world. It, it, it really is uh, financially, you know, again, the remittance industry, uh, just transaction, international transactions uh, between one currency to another. It's that's going to be huge. I mean, I, I don't know the number exactly, but we're talking trillions of dollars into the quadrillions. If you if you start talking about derivatives. It is insane, and it's going to transition. It just is. It's, it's not not going to happen. It is happening. And people don't understand what people want is a pretty package. They don't really care how things work fundamentally underneath. They just want things to work, you know? No, you're, you're exactly right. That's the... Uh... And I think that's the, the the really interesting thing about cryptocurrency in general. And you 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 alluded to it, you know, uh, talking through the history of Bitcoin. Um, I I I messed around with um, trying to mine it using a service called Bitminter many many years ago um, through um, some computers that I had, and I just watched the time it took based on what what it was actually returning. And it was like, oh, this, and this was when Bitcoin was maybe like three or four hundred dollars a piece. And um, you know, part of me wishes I just would have left it on, but <laughs> you know, that's, that, it is what it is. So I'm I'm looking forward to maybe new newer opportunities. <laughs> so here's yeah. the speaking of which, I actually did find an article on that that blockchain phone. It was by HTC, and they said it would uh, it would make 
just about a dollar thirty nine a year. That okay. would be able to mine. Back back in what year? Uh, this was actually twenty twenty that it came out. Oh well, I mean, look, you you'd have more than a a dollar thirty, but I don't know <laughs> how much more. <laughs> so yeah, not a not exactly a a winner of a of an idea there. No, no, it's not. Uh, that's that's actually a really. It's an important point about cryptocurrencies, and, and this is a deeper subject, but you have proof of work and you have proof of stake. And it's, it's pretty fascinating, the difference between the two. Uh, right now, with proof of work and getting into the weeds of it, and I'm not going to, but Bitcoin and Ethereum, they're proof of work. That means that you have some computer, again, some mining setup somewhere, or somebody who had enough money to buy their own home mining setup well they're using their computing power to solve these mathematical equations which are contributing to the blockchain you know they're transacting and and that's kind of how it works your reward is bitcoin at a certain you know percentage whatever it is however however much computing power that you actually throw into it and it's actually the same way with ethereum and there's very few well, there's probably a lot, but there's very few really consequential coins aside from Bitcoin and Ethereum right now that you can actually just lend your computing power to to get a reward of the cryptocurrency. The Ethereum is actually switching to the second thing, which is called proof of stake. Now, how that works is you take your Ethereum coins that you own and you contribute it to the network of Ethereum, which is called staking. You get a reward, which is a percentage of the amount that you actually stake into the network. And sometimes you have to lock it up for a certain period of time. And the longer you lock up your crypto um, coins, your Ethereum, is uh, the better the rewards are going to get. Now, they're not incredible, but yeah, they might be 6%. Well, if you got into Ethereum back in the day and you own a decent amount of it, if you stake all of that Ethereum and you get 6% on that, I mean, I don't know, say you have $100,000 worth of Ethereum, you know, just to make it simple. Well, you'll get $6,000 that year. Well, oh, equivalent, equivalency of Ethereum, right? No. All right. But the key part is, is that Ethereum is an appreciating asset for the most part. It is volatile if you look at it a long enough time frame, you'll see it goes up and down, up and down, up and down. But it's setting higher highs and higher lows as, as you go along in the time frame. So you're mining uh, an asset that's going up in value as the years go by. So it's not just the amount that you're mining. Say it's 100 bucks a month, but it's what it could be in five years. So you get $1,200 worth of Ethereum in one year for mining. Well, guess what? That might be worth $25,000 in five years or more. And I don't want to get people hyped up, but this is not uh, uncommon that a network uh, like Ethereum that gets, starts to get used quite a bit just skyrockets, goes parabolic, moon Lambo, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely want my Lambo, so. Well, it's, it's kind of possible right now. Um, there's a lot of projects that are coming online right now that have been building for four, five, you know, six, seven years. 
Uh, and, and they're like Cardano that's coming, uh, the, I think in September is, is, is the cutoff for, for when there's the main net supposed to be live. Well, dude, Cardano is everywhere and it's relatively cheap. You can buy it for a dollar 50 a coin roughly, um, give or take. So what could that be worth in the future? Well, okay. I think Cardano has a max uh, supply of 45 billion tokens. Okay. Now here's the thing. Bitcoin, 21 million, not 45 billion. So obviously there's a great discrepancy between the two and that's why Bitcoin is a store of value, right? Cardano is supposed to be used as more of a transactional token. Not that it won't ever gain a whole bunch of value, but its value is going to be derived from the network effect. How many projects are being uh, you are using the Cardano network, um, how many countries with their tokens, maybe even, uh, you know, central bank digital currencies as possible with Cardano. Um, but I think that that is a whole other subset of coins that I'd rather talk about in a different podcast, because that actually goes pretty deep. And it's been spelled out uh, pretty well by the World Economic Forum in the IMF, uh, all the documentations out there. But I, I think that's a different podcast because it goes deep. And I think that's going to be more valuable than almost everything, in my opinion. So is that kind of, that's along the same lines as Polkadot then? Well, Polkadot and Cardano are kind of, they're kind of similar. Like Polkadot is more of just a network itself, okay? So it wants to be a blockchain of blockchains. And it's, it's hard to, without visuals, it's hard to explain. But if you think about Polkadot, just think of it as a circle, okay? And this is how it's represented on their website and, and everything else. It's a circle. And there are 100 connections to that circle, okay? So 100 different projects could connect to that circle. Off of that circle and every 100 projects, they can build their own little blockchain. So I don't know how many connections that it's called a parachain, by the way, which is, yeah, see, this is what I mean. It gets super deep, right? I'm not even going to go into parachain. Anyways, this thing that's a parachain can have its own little network of other projects, maybe smaller projects, but you have a hundred of them. Well, okay, you can bring, uh, it's exponential after every little project has another little project, so on and so forth, right? It, it can just blow up. And so Polkadot, is not really used or is thought of being used as the, the new financial uh, coin or cryptocurrency. It's more along the lines of XRP and Stellar and Algorand and Cardano. And that's the thing, Cardano's in there and Solana. These are different cryptocurrencies. In the case of Solana, it's actually trying to be a competitor to Ethereum and Cardano and Polkadot. But because of its transaction speed, because of the technology, um, it's being looked at seriously by a lot of uh, governments around the world. Um, world Economic Forum, again, it's not necessarily United States based, but it's the World Economic Forum. So, of course, they have a piece of it. Well, they've identified Solana as one of these, one of these cryptocurrencies that are going to be used uh, in the new financial system, whenever that is, in the next five years, 10 years, who knows? But the point is, it's going to be used. So 
that's that's a whole other subject. It's something that I'm crazy interested in. I, that's my favorite part of cryptocurrency is what's going to be used in the new financial system of the world. I'm super interested in it because that is whatever you own now. I don't I don't Bitcoin explosive growth. Uh, yeah, probably long enough time frame. I mean, Bitcoin's gone from zero to sixty five thousand dollars a coin in 12 years. <laughs> I, some of these other cryptos are going to do some Bitcoin stuff for sure. So it's basically like we're back in the, uh, back in the, you know, the gold rush days. It's, it's all speculation and trying to, to stake your claim as best you can and where you think it's going to work out the best at this point. Right. Yeah. In essence, um, you know, you have, uh, the first, uh, like if you're the first mover, that's, that's a huge advantage, right? So you get in, you establish these relationships, even if it's not the best technology, if, if a bunch of companies are using uh, your technology, you still make a bunch of money. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to last forever because the, you know, the, the best mousetrap is going to come along, uh, whoever, in five years. But you have to have the relationships. You have to start taking the business away, and that's not such an easy thing to do. So you have the first mover's advantage, right? And Ethereum is sitting right there, and that's why it's worth so much. So many projects have built upon Ethereum in the past, whatever. I think it came out in 2015. It's, it's way ahead of everything else. Um, and, and there's a lot to that. Um, Ethereum's not the best technology, and, and we can get into you know Cardano and Polkadot if... Um, in another podcast because it is a little bit deeper, but they're offshoots of Ethereum uh, by their founders, Charles Hoskinson from Cardano and Gavin Wood, Dr. Gavin Wood from uh, Polkadot. He started Polkadot. So they were all part of Ethereum and they were like, yeah, we can just build this a little bit better. Um, so we're going to go do that, but it's going to take a bunch of time and it has. So all of those projects that have been building for four or five years, they are starting to come online now. And that's the important thing to understand. This is more of a reality than what is before because you can only choose between whatever, five or six blockchains to, to build projects on before, like back in 2017. But now you actually have seriously robust blockchains coming online that are way better than Ethereum. So the future looks pretty bright with where things are going. And the world is trying to decide what to use and it doesn't necessarily mean the best technology is going to be utilized it, it just means that a technology good enough that can scale to whatever the future is going to hold for the world's economy digitally will probably be used polka dot is not is not that cryptocurrency it is a blockchain built of other blockchains but there are cryptocurrencies specifically made to handle financial transactions, especially uh, international uh, transactions, which XRP is pretty much the standard. They call it the banker's coin. It's, it's purpose-built for that. Um, Stellar, same thing. Uh, the Stellar founder was actually part of XRP for the first couple years. They had some disagreement. He broke off and started Stellar. Algorand. Algorand is a really interesting technology. It actually deals with blockchain a little bit different than others do. Um, but 
it has a capability to handle financial transactions and a lot more actually. Um, and then you have Cardano, which is the same thing, but they're going after uh, under underserved uh, countries, underserved markets, underdeveloped. So Africa is where Cardano was started because there's something like, I don't know, 1.7 billion people of the world are unbanked, which means that they don't have a bank whatsoever. But you know what? They have a phone, oddly enough. It's, it's weird, the modern times we live in, right? Yeah, that, that, that kind of blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, I, you can't have a, a branch of, you know, Bank of America or Bank of Africa or whatever it is in every, you know, little city or every little village or town in Africa is just not the way it goes. So, but they have a cell phone. Now you can transact using Cardano and they've already you know, started putting things in place with Africa. That was, that was their whole point. So it, it gets pretty deep with what countries are going to use what. And at this point, no one really knows. It's, it's all speculation, as you said. Um, but you can, you can kind of read the tea leaves here and there. And, and this is what being an investor is all about, is not necessarily figuring out what a company is now, um, unless you're ultra conservative and you just want some dividends or something like that. Um, or it, it, it could be, if you're our age, what is a company gonna be in five, 10, 15, 20 years? I, I hope we're still alive because this is the new world. And these are the new companies that will be running the financial transactions and whatever, it doesn't even, it goes so deep. It goes so deep, fellas. That's super interesting. You had two really, really good points there. Uh, scalability and accessibility. Uh, you know, that's the thing. You know, whenever I started messing around with Bitcoin, you know, it was a, you know, look, I, I, I work in an, uh, in an IT in an administrative position. So I was pretty well aware of things. But even I was like, you know what? This is too much for me. I'm just going to like kind of skip on again many, many years ago. So to actually have these different cryptos coming out, um, to make them more accessible for people, um, you know, not that Bitcoin isn't necessarily now, but years ago um, when it really wasn't. Uh, it's super fascinating. And I really love your points about, you know, yeah, we really don't know. We're all just trying to figure it out. Um, and this is where we're kind of in a sweet spot because, hey, we're young enough to kind of see this thing through. Um, so th this is this is uh, yeah, this is really, really neat. Yeah, absolutely. And we're definitely going to have to have to get back and, and do a second episode and dig in a little bit more on stuff like Cardano and, and you know, really get an idea of get a feel for for what it is and what's coming up, because this could really be a situation where people could change their lives. You know, they could they could set themselves up for retirement. And they're not saying that that Cardano is the one that's going to do it. And and again, don't take advice from idiots on the Internet. But, you know, having an idea of what's out there, having an idea of your options, that's what can help lead to further, you know, wealth and further financial gain. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think this is one of the few times in the history of the world they these opportunities do not come around very often if you think about an investment in a long enough period of time um, I'm you know fortunately or unfortunately old enough to remember the internet boom and I was invested uh, I was fortunate enough my, my grandparents when I was I don't know 
14 or 15, they gave me three shares of Gateway 2000. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> With the cow boxes? Well, see, that's amazing. <laughs> see, and you guys don't know this, probably. I'm from Sioux City, Iowa, and Gateway 2000 was founded there, right oh, in that okay. region. Yeah. That's why there's the boxes were, you know, cow prints, you know? It's, uh, it makes sense. I, yeah. I, I guess the aesthetics of corn don't really come over that well. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they don't. And, <laughs> Yeah, so I got three shares of Gateway 2000, okay? I got it at, at the time, so this is probably 1995. I was 14 years old. It was worth, I don't know, $100. It was $33 a share, okay? Now, I grow up going to the military. At that time, it was worth, it, it split once. So instead of three shares, now I had six shares and then had gone up in value. I ended up having like $1,000 of Gateway 2000 uh, stock at one point in my life. I was still a young man. And I, look, I didn't know. I always heard, hey, just hold on to the company. It'll keep going up, keep going up. So I was like, yeah, whatever. I should have sold then because it was just downhill from there. I mean, who owns a Gateway computer nowadays, right? Hey, you, you just hurt my computer's feelings. Oh, what? no way. You have a gateway? No, no, no. I got a Dell. <laughs> oh, dude, I was going to be <laughs> super bad. I was like, what's for like 2011? Like, what's no, going man. On? No, no. Gateway made a big comeback. You didn't hear they're the next Apple. Well, that's news to me. I, I'm um, with you. I, I was going to say, I think I still have those shares someplace. Um, <laughs> you should check. <laughs> dude, honestly, you got it. All right, so we're going to do another episode with you. I expect a full report on those shares when you on your when you're next on. Uh, dude, I'm probably 15 years removed from those shares. I have no idea where they are. I'll have to figure it out. But <laughs> seriously, I mean, it's probably not worth. But I mean, hey, maybe it's a nice steak dinner, right? Yeah. Hey, you never know, man. A, a new a new little bed for uh, for Fozzie. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, Fozzie. Bringing up Fozzie. I wish we were on a YouTube channel. I can bring up a nice little picture of Fozzie. I don't know if Kara showed him to you lately. Yeah, I just got the, the video. Okay. Yeah, he's a cutie, man. Um, yeah, I'm trying to pay for Fozzie with some uh, cryptocurrency, you know, <laughs> profit. Because <laughs> apparently everybody wants a dog in the pandemic. Yes. Oh, well, of course. They've got to. Because what, what are you going to do if you're trapped in the house but have something else trapped in the house with you? Hey, misery loves company, I guess, huh? Yeah. That's why we all played Animal Crossing. <laughs> Animal Crossing, good guy. This is ve <laughs> this is veering into you know, some territory here, Bobby. Yeah. And and on that note, I think uh I think we're gonna wrap this one up. But um AJ, man, thank you so much for coming on. Um thank you for, for sharing your knowledge and and dude, we're definitely gonna have you back because I think you've got more to we're gonna squeeze more out of your little brain and see what we can uh what kind of knowledge we can sop up yeah yeah that sounds good man um so if anybody wants to kind of start their journey uh i started on youtube is it's the easiest thing uh there's all sorts of content and look you have to understand that what the people say is not financial advice it's financial opinion it's what they're doing and there's a lot of people in the world who are going to just be smarter than you. 
And, uh, and even if they're not smarter than you, they've got a plan and they're doing something. So you don't have to follow their plan, but you can get some ideas about what they're doing and you can learn. Uh, it, it's insane the world we live in nowadays. It's the information, well, we're transitioning from the information age, but you know, I'm old enough that um, it's still kind of stuck with me. Uh, yeah. I still think it's amazing that how much stuff you can learn. I, I bought a house and basically refurbished the whole downstairs from YouTube, you know? Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I, I learned pretty much everything. Um, if just watch some YouTube channels, figure yeah. it out. Yep. No, you're you're dead on with that. And uh, it's funny, my my daughter uh, who she takes violin lessons from a a, a local person here, but uh, a lot of the things that she picks up on are videos that she watches on YouTube. So it's just a, it, yeah, it's it's amazing the the, the age we live in and uh, the the uh, information at our fingertips that I wish we had 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah, and that's the value right now. You can you can actually understand what's happening in the world uh, from people who may be smarter than you or just have the, the ends, or maybe they just thought of it quicker than you did. Um, people share their opinion, and, and that's the value of social media in general, but you know, YouTube, it's, it's just really cool. People have really highly produced YouTube channels, and sometimes it's just them talking about technical analysis or fundamental analysis, but whatever the case, this information comes to you instead of you, you know, trying to go out and find whatever the newspaper is telling you back in 1962 or, or whatever. It's, it's, that's your little snippet of the world is your newspaper and maybe three channels of, of TV, ABC, NBC, and AB, uh, CBS. Well, <laughs> There's something to be said for that world because it was actually good in some ways, and I'm not trying to get too deep into this, but the world we live in now is 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 more difficult because you have to sort through the information. But if you if you are focused on what it is that you want to learn, and don't you know look at every shiny object that's out there, you can really learn anything you want to. Anything. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. Uh, this has been such fun. Yeah, we're going to have to have you on again for either uh, one, two, ten additional episodes. I don't, I don't <laughs> care. Um, so no, this has been great. I, I just sat here and felt like I, I kind of got a nice little. Uh, I learned, you know, not from not watching a video. I just listened, you know. So mm -hmm. I, I really thank you for your time and and uh, coming on our award-winning podcast. <laughs> I <laughs> agreed. AJ, anything you want to plug, man, before you uh before we let you go? I got nothing I want to plug necessarily. I mean, I'll I'll share some I'll share some YouTube sites. Um if if you look up uh Digital Asset News, that's a really good YouTube site for cryptocurrency. Uh it's really conservative. Um the guy is I don't know, probably in his mid to late 40s and it seems like he's transition from the old world into the new world and so he he uses his uh cryptocurrency knowledge to um, make money and then invest in hard assets so real estate things that people actually utilize you know instead of you know fake internet money which are cryptos <laughs> um it's 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 he's a really interesting uh watch and keeps it really straight and level um, if you want some speculation stuff, you know, <laughs> look, you can go into uh, Alex Becker. 
Um, he's a really good YouTube channel. Uh, Benjamin Cohen is really good at technical analysis. So instead of the fundamentals, he goes into why cryptocurrencies are sitting at the level that they're at. Um, and you can learn a lot from him. So I, I would start there. That's where I started and I've moved on since then. But that's a really good foundation, especially if you, uh, you know, start taking their courses, which are actually free for the most part. At least digital asset news is free. So I think it's danteacheskrypto.com. And you go on there and you just learn the fundamentals about what these projects are. Teaches a lot, gives you a good foundation to start because you have to start, you have to really understand what, what is happening in the world. And, and again, it's, it's the greatest wealth transfer that's ever going to occur in the history of humanity, I think. And the people who are in it now, and I'm not telling you to be in it, I'm just saying that they're going to be winners, they're going to be losers, but the winners, holy moly, they are going to win like crazy. It's going to be, you don't even, I, I don't, I can't even predict what the price is, what the value of some of these cryptocurrencies are going to be instead of just a normal 401k. It's, it's not, it may not be Bitcoin, um, but something's going to pop off. And if you diversify your portfolio, good God, you, you won't even understand how much money you have, seriously, in 10 years. It, you never know. And that is absolutely the goal. Yeah, for me at least. Moon Lambo. <laughs> Moon Lambo, baby. Uh, I think that's a great way to close it up. And uh, we'll, we will definitely have you back on because this has been fantastic. So, I again, appreciate your time, AJ. Ah, no. It was awesome being on. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. So until next time, AJ, again, thank you very much. Tom, I'll talk to you soon. This has been the Noise Brigade. Remember to check us out on anywhere where you can find your podcast. I think we're on like eight different podcast networks now. We have a Facebook you're getting, page. You getting residuals? Sorry to break in. You getting residuals <laughs> from that? <laughs> I, you know, we we do have the option to throw ads in, but I I figure we should build our listener base a little bit before I try to squeeze them for money. So uh, there you go. Yeah, then we got to figure out how to do ad reads because I really want to like sell like things I probably shouldn't sell. I think <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. No, no, I want to sell boner pills. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. Here's a yes. free ad for Blue Chew. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> blue chew, uh, let's do anything with blue in it so like blue emu that i think johnny bench does um oh he's still alive i think uh, dude i hope he is <laughs> Johnny <laughs> Bench. somebody some some famous catcher was was doing it so i'm, I, I'm pretty sure it was johnny bench for blue emu and it's like some kind of chewable thing that's supposed to make your joints work better johnny bench is only 73 no. Get 73. Out. He's young. Yeah, he is young. All right, so let's lay off of Johnny Bench. All right. <laughs> I like Johnny Bench. I'm just saying. I thought he was dead. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why we should have stopped recording five minutes ago, because now we just put the, the curse on Johnny Bench. <laughs> right. He's next. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. You, or you want to sign us off now, Bobby? Or what do you, what do you I, want? I don't have anything else after we killed Johnny Bench. <laughs> All right. No, Johnny Bench, if you're listening, we're really sorry. Yes. We're, no, we no, we're not. You'll be nice. You're, 
You're a dead man, Johnny Bench. Johnny Bench, you're dead. <laughs> and that's our last episode. Uh, thanks for listening to the Noise Brigade. <laughs> uh, later on, everybody. All See right, you. fellas. <laughs>